Well, good morning to you. Morning. And uh, by way of introduction, uh, let me just say, bienvenidos a los que son de Latinoamérica, que hablan español. Si hay los aquí esta mañana, uh, mi nombre es Ricardo y vamos a enseñar de la palabra de Lucas, capítulo 6, acerca de la gracia de Dios. And since Spanish is my first language, I want to greet my Latin friends first, give them a little understanding where we're going. Uh, but it's, it's a great to be here this morning. If you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? And we have some ushers. I'd love to, to get that to you. This morning, we're going to read out of uh, Luke 6. But I want to start with a story. The story that I read about uh, a few years back, there was a man in a suburban town who was driving down a, a, a maple tree-lined street in his brand-new black Jaguar, uh, two-door coupe. And driving down the street... Uh, as he was looking off the side, he looked in the qu corner of the eye, and an object was flying towards the car. It was a brick, and it struck his door with great impact. And as a normal guy who has a nice prized possession, he slammed on the brake, kicked his car in reverse, and screeched his tires as he went back. And he saw this kid standing on the side of the street, not defending himself, not running away, uh, but just standing there. And the, and the guy ran out of the car and grabbed the kid and slammed him against his car. And he goes, what were you doing? You have to pay for this. His anger just refused out, and the kid looked at him and said, Sir, you're the only man who stopped. My brother, he's got broken legs, and he fell out of his wheelchair. He's older than me. I can't pick him up. Can you help me? And as the, the anger just resided, he realized this is not a vandal. This is not a punk kid who's trying to cause trouble, but someone who needed help. He helped this boy back into his wheelchair, and his younger brother's pushing him up the street to go home. And he looked at his door, and he thought, Wow, I overreacted. I didn't know the whole story of what was happening here. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 6. And last week, Anne uh, talked about loving your enemies. And today we're going to look about judging and forgiving and giving and looking at our own hearts. Because sometimes we overreact or we have preconceived ideas. And Jesus speaks very clearly how to handle that situation. And so this morning, uh, the title of my message is, Grace is for those who need it. Grace is for those who need it. Now the question is, who needs it? You or me? Or do I need to give it in order to receive it? And so we're going to talk about that. Have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 37. This is a continuing uh, story, uh, teaching that Jesus does on, called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, that was referenced last week, and we're going to continue in this as Jesus talks about our enemies last week, but now we're talking about other relationships in our heart. Verse 37 says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told him a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they, not, will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, defining what grace is, we, we kind of all know what grace is. You know, we say grace before meals. 
Uh, I used to play trumpet, and, and uh, sometimes you see grace notes, kind of things you can kind of add on. Uh, and grace is defined as, as biblically, as unfair, unmerited favor, something you don't deserve, that you get to get. Mercy is not getting what you should get. Grace is getting what you, you don't deserve. And uh, I'm banking, and uh, growing up, and I wasn't the greatest steward of, of resources when I was in, in my 20s and 18s and got some credit cards. And, and I remember getting statements as my spending outpaced my earning and payments were due. And then they said, there's a, a grace period. I mean, grace for, for grace periods. Where it says, it's due on the first of the month, but penalties start happening on the 15th if, if you don't pay by this date. Something that we don't deserve, we know it's, it's due on the first. But there's a kindness, a grace extended that says you've got a little more. And the background of the story is Jesus is teaching this story to people. There's young and old, rich and poor, uh, Jews and not. And they're oppressed by the, the Romans. And they're poor. And they're waiting for a day to come that I, the prophet Isaiah talked about when the favor of God would come. And the, the prophet talks about that in the year of the Lord's favor that the eyes would be opened and the poor would be uh, restored and those in prison would be set free. And the, the imagery was of this political overthrow of a system that allowed them to be free. But Jesus didn't come for that. He came for an internal system change. That they were looking for some help. Like, yeah, if we can just get the Romans out of here, we'll be free. We're poor and if we can get money, we'll be rich. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I came for a spiritual transformation a prophecy of the Messiah coming. And Jesus speaking to a mixed crowd of people and teaching this, it's interesting because they were hoping for a God who kind of vanquished their enemies and allowed them to live in, in political freedom. That was their view of God, but God didn't come that way. I remember one time I was on a college campus and um, just sharing with people about faith and this one guy said, I, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. I said, oh really? Tell me about that. I said, Why? Well, I don't believe in a God who would allow wars to happen for kids to suffer with diseases, for children to hurt their parents, for to be lying and stealing. So I said, oh, so you do believe in God. But your God does not do this, does not allow war, but you do have a faith in a God, but that's not what we're talking about here. And so he had this image in his mind of what he would picture God to be like in his own mind based on his desires and needs and expectations. And we all sometimes do that. Well, I talked to a woman in the last service who has some tragedy in her family and uh, a relative of hers is far from God because he's blaming God for something that happened. There was an expectation that God would do something and somehow they were disappointed by a promise or unfulfilled expectation. Grace is needed in hard times. Like I was in the South in Louisiana a number of years ago and I was really kind of taken aback by how kind people were. People walking around their day and just really gracious and kind and greeting. And I thought, wow, this is a kind culture. I'm gonna be kind in return. But grace is, is extending mercy and responding when you don't have it. It's easy to wait till you've had a good day to smile or stored up and things are going well, the, the sun's shining, and, and to be kind in those days. But Jesus is talking about how his disciples, when God's economy comes, we respond in a spiritual manner because we've been transformed on the inside. 
In America, we're not oppressed. In fact, we are proud of our freedom. That's a symbol across the world and independence. Yet, I think there's areas in our lives, in our culture, where we're oppressed. And in my 20s, I was heavily in debt with my school loans and other things. And I dreaded the day when, remember those days when they had rotary phones? And you answered the phone and you didn't know it was like your parents, your boss, and you're late for work, uh, the credit card company. You had no caller ID where you could press ignore. You had to answer the phone. And even back then, for some of you older ones, there was no answering machine. So people just call, kept calling back. And now we have the luxury, like, well, ignore, I'll talk to that person later. I was busy. Right? And yet I go to second and third world countries, and people are, I've learned a lot from places like the Dominican Republic and Nepal and Rwanda, where people know their neighbors. They interact with their families. They love and serve each other together. And I realize that's an area where I'm poor. I need to grow. First time in my life, I live in an area where I've got to know my neighbors, but growing up, I didn't know many of them. So relationally, there was a, a, a disconnect there. So the question, first uh, point today is when we, when, what can occur in, in us when we encounter the grace of God? When you encounter God's grace, you are free to give rather than hoard. You are free to give rather than hoard. Kind of collect yourself. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For the measure you use it, we measure it back to you. It's interesting because judging, I think, comes naturally. At least I know in the lives of my three and five-year-olds and eight-year-olds, when they fight and we come to scene and my wife like, okay, is it your turn to go or my turn to go? Because they've been arguing quite a bit today. And the first thing, well, he said, and she always, and, you, and the question remains that they're really not interested in the truth, right? They're just defending their position, their selfishness. And uh, it started at the earliest of ages, and it continues past our ages, right? Uh, so we're not going to blame just the kids for it. We're someone's kid. And, uh, and in marriage, we find it a lot, but... We easily pronounce judgment. Well, that person, my sister, always. Really good at natural. It's a natural inclination of us. You don't have to defy gravity. It just pulls you down into judgment. As I was reading this, I, I come across a quote that I thought was really revealing. And this man on the subject said that we judge others by their words and their actions or failure to, to live up to them. But we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, right? I've had it a couple of times, uh, I can't say per month or week, with my wife where I didn't mean it that way. You heard me say that, but what I really meant was, right? And I, and I will hold someone accountable to what they said or, or didn't do. They weren't on time. They said they would do something. But then I look at myself and, well, I, I didn't mean that. I had good intentions, and Jesus talks about this hypocrisy here of not using the same standard that we do for each other, for ourselves. And it's natural. It's normal. But Jesus says, don't judge. Why? Because you will be judged. And kids, I remember on the playground, don't judge me, man. Don't judge me. <laughs> right? Whatever the case may be, your clothes, my hair, whatever. Don't judge me, man. And Jesus is saying, if you judge, 
you will be judged the same way. And if you condemn, you will be condemned. Yeah, well, it's okay to, to fall into one, but we don't want it coming back to us. Like kind of the Aussie boomerang comes from back. And there's two negatives here, and then he goes into forgiveness. But the issue, what I find with condemning is that I don't really think of myself as one who condemns or judges until I realize, I think gossip is kind of a condemning, a judgment. I had a situation recently where in my family, extended family, there were some promises made and some things that were uh, spoken of and didn't materialize and promises were broken, reneged on, and then hurtful words were, were spoken. And I was just thinking about this week. It was hurtful. And so because I don't have a good memory at, at 42, I, I started writing down some of the things that happened so I can keep a good record. Because, you know, I need to speak the truth when the opportunity comes up to be able to encounter this person and tell them like it is so they can admit to their wrong. I have made many attempts to contact this person and it has not worked. But you know who's suffering? Me. Because I got this angst in that I, I just want, I got to get it out. Let's talk it over. I'm going to come out with two guns blazing and let's settle this thing. High noon. <laughs> and because I have no outlet to, to deal with it, I find myself calling my dad or my sister and sharing how I feel about this, which comes out as judgment and gossip. But what do you think about this? Isn't, aren't they wrong for what they've done? And they're not around to defend themselves. I think my case is pretty fast proven to be correct. But I'm realizing when I don't have a chance to deal with it openly and honestly, I find myself telling others and spreading condemnation. And I feel convicted because I'm preparing for the message this week and I have unforgiveness in my heart, which I'm embarrassed by. It's been lingering for a couple months. And I finally read this passage. And I'm like, oh man, I can't speak if I don't do this. And forgiveness is not a fun thing. It's not like you feel really great afterwards. Yes. No, I said, God, make some room in my heart because I don't want to. I don't feel like I know I'm supposed to because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have to live different than the laws of gravity. Spiritual living means you just ascend, you transcend what our normal proclivity is and how we deal with relationships. And that meant I had to stop saying things to people that would be kind of gossipy to kind of get them on my side. It means I have to let go of control and this power that comes from being in a minor way oppressed by this hurt. And Jesus is talking to these people, these poor people, oppressed. He says, you're oppressed, but I give you power to choose to forgive. You're not a victim. You can walk in victory if you choose to forgive, but you have to choose. And then he goes on to say, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The way you measure it out is the way it comes back to you. Now, I don't mind forgiving this much, but then the weeds come back and I gotta do it again. So I found myself like, God, I know that I wanna forgive, but I will do my best even though I don't feel it to pray blessing on this person who hurt me. And that's when God gives you his, that's when I think it's like power steering when you get that extra push when God says, you're, you're lining up with me. That's where transformation comes. And that, that picture, uh, I, I, a few weeks last week was uh, my wife and, and kids were making chocolate chip cookies. And you, know, you scoop this, the flour and get the chocolate chips. But when it came down to the half cup measure of the brown sugar, 
That one you got to pack down really, really good because you want to get as much brown sugar in as you can, right? You don't just kind of, no, you press down, pack it in there really good because you want to get it as sweet as possible. And the picture that they had is that they, people in those days would have these garments and they would measure out things, pack them in, and they, it says it would pour it into your lap. They would, have, they would fold out their shirts or garments and you know, they'd pour it in there to take home and they would wrap it up. And so Jesus is saying the same way that you measure it out, it'll come back to you and you get to take it home. So if you're gonna be generous and give a lot of mercy and grace to people, guess what? You're gonna walk home with a lot of it coming back to you. If you forgive your spouse when he or she annoys you, then you're gonna get it back from God. But you stop it up, the lifeline is over. There's times when I've had unforgiveness, I can't hear God. I'm praying, Lord, what about this? The spigot is closed because I have chosen not to forgive. And how can I who was forgiven for great cost by Jesus on the cross not give a half cup to someone who probably didn't even mean to hurt me? Because I know the full story, yet I take it personally. So Jesus talks about don't judge and don't condemn, but do forgive and do give. And that, that giving applies to forgiveness but it also talks about our finances. Now, how many of you know people that are just generous? I mean, just people are fun to be around. People that, they're not rich, but they just leave a kind of a way, man, this is fun, I'll, I'll cover that. Or someone, people, and we're out to lunch, and instead of a $5 tip, they leave double 10, which is not a lot, but it makes this waitress like, wow, these were wonderful people. Hey, come back, what, what, what's different about you? Given to support what God's doing here. It's never easy. I'm teaching my, my five-year-old um, a lesson on giving that someone who's older than me taught me that they do with their kids and to have a little bit for savings, spending, and giving to God. And it's always hard to start, even when you're five. So I give my daughter a dollar, a dollar, and then 50 cents to give to church. And so she opens her hand, and I, I said, here's the two quarters. And she closed up, oh, can you give back to me? She said, no, 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 it's mine. I said, no, no, open your hand and give it back to me. But dad, you gave it to me. Yeah, but who put it in your hand? I did. So give it back to me. Okay, here you go. Now, wait a minute. Here you go, sweetie. Put it back in your hand. Thanks, dad. Oh, can you give it back to me, please? And this, this tug of war back and forth until she realized the money is not hers. She gets to steward it because I gave it to her. And I tell her, God has blessed our family, and we get to give. We get to choose to give and be as generous as possible because God has been generous with us. And now, because we've been doing it for a few years, it's just a natural part of our life. When Christmas time comes, is there someone we can give to, Dad? And she has learned what Jesus taught. Because someone taught me, not when I was young, which I wish, but later in life, that I, this principle that Jesus says, give, be different. I work with wealthy people in Beverly Hills, some of the stingiest ones. If you're stingy with little, you add two more zeros, you're still stingy. Right? People who win the lottery are destroyed by their wealth because they were not good stewards to begin with. So God says, I'll trust you with little, you'll be trustworthy with much. We don't judge because other people are a work in progress. Other people, are you, are you done? No, you're a work in progress like you, like me. 
And forgiveness is not a fair trade transaction, right? You ever go to the bank and exchange money, you give a 20, and someone says, give me change, and you give a 10, a 5, and a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And they count it up to make sure that you get a fair trade. But in this situation, what I experienced with this person in my family, I had to forgive, and I don't get a promise that I'll get paid back. In fact, it would be probably a short end on the, on the stick that I may never get asked, oh, Rick, did I hurt you? Forgive me. And Jesus on the cross, the same thing. Father, forgive them. They're crucifying me, and I did nothing wrong. And I'm going to love you in return. And I, he bought each one of our sins that we have and will commit. And he didn't think it was a fair trade, but he did it because he loved us. <clears throat> Generosity makes us grow into bigger people. and makes room for God. <clears throat> and giving results in compound interest. Interest in us and interest in our finances. The question is in who do we need to forgive? Or do you have a hard time receiving forgiveness? This teaches us that we receive based on the measure that we extend it. There's no max or limit. You know, you can be as generous as possible. There's no limit to how much you get to forgive. God says there is an unmeasured bank account of generosity and forgiveness that you can tap into. How much are you willing to experience? doesn't mean that there aren't faults and things to deal with in others. And there's no payment plan. It's now or wait. But you can't put 10% down on forgiveness and say, okay, I'll pay 10% this much and I'll kind of ease my way into it. Because the heart issue, it has to be instantaneous and complete. And only God can give us the grace to walk that out. <clears throat> Secondly, is when you encounter grace, you are free to be a learner rather than prove your worth. When you encounter grace, you're free to be a learner rather than prove your worth. It says, he also told him a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Here Jesus pointing out the irony of a blind man asserting himself as a guide. More tragic than being the follower is being the leader who's leading others into a ditch. We don't want to find ourselves there, yet those of us who claim to know God are in the most danger because we all have influence. Leadership, I think, in simple terms, is influence. And you might be a stay-at-home mom, you have influence. My five-year-old has influence over our two-year-old. And so if you don't think you're a leader, you're wrong. The question is, how do we use that, that influence that we have? Recognize your leading, whether you mean to or not. Spiritually, examples in your family, with friends, everyone has a measure of influence. Secondly, aspect of that is choose to be mentored by the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning I read my Bible, but I find the most life comes when the Bible reads me. The Bible gets into me and reads my life and says, here are the areas of impact. And the Bible says that God is holy. He's perfect. He's this way off ideal. And God says, no, I want you to be holy too. How can we be? We're broken. It's going to take a lifetime to learn. I've kind of identified that holiness is just saying yes to Jesus today. The thing that God asks you 
or speaks to you, will you obey and respond today? And tomorrow, something comes up, you're encouraged, you obey, and you step out. You're becoming more and more holy by just obeying Jesus. So this idea like, wow, God, you're so out there, I'm not, is boiled down to will we be disciples or followers of Jesus who obey him today? And as someone recently asked me, God, there's an issue in their life that there's unforgiveness and pain. And they said, Rick, can you pray for me that God will speak to me about what, he should, what I should do? And I was reminded of a principle that God will not speak to you about something until you obey the last thing that he asked you to do. You can't pick and choose which instructions are important. If God is our father, he knows me, and I've done that. Like, uh, I will not clean my room, but I'll go clean the rabbit cage. That's not obedience. That's selective memory. That's having my own choices. And so some of those difficult areas are to go around. God says, I can't move you forward because that's, this is very important to your development and your spiritual growth. Saying yes to Jesus. Third is choose to listen to those that you meet. Um, we're told that, well, we understand this biologically, that we, as kids, we have two ears and one mouth. And so we have two intake valves and one outtake, and yet it seems like our outtake sometimes gets the best of us. And in banking, uh, working with high network clients, we were taught, and most business practices are to listen to your clients, find out what they need so you can offer the right solution, the right service, program, but start by asking questions to learn. That way you can devise the right thing to do. Catalytic leaders are not blind. And there's an interesting quote from, by Liz Weitzman from the book Multipliers. It talks about leaders that are diminishers, that make everything flow through them, and those that are multipliers and expand. This is what she says. Liberating leaders are more than just good listeners. They're ferocious listeners. They listen to feed their hunger for knowledge. They listen to learn what other people know and to add to the reservoir of knowledge. As a management guru, C.K. Prahadagal said to me, how smart you are is determined by how clearly you can see the intellect of others. They listen intently because they're trying to learn and understand what other people know. Being a ferocious listener. I wonder how many conflicts we would not have if we just stopped and listened. In the business place, at work, hearing projects through, not jumping to conclusions. Use your influence to guide others on the path. Three, when you encounter grace, you're free to face your own failures. When you encounter grace, you are free to face your own failures. And uh, how many know, we, each of us look at America and know our, we have failures and faults. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Let me read this a little bit better. Try to read this again. Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you don't self-see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now what's interesting about this is it's kind of funny to walk around with a two-by-two in, in the eye, but Jesus is making a point that I had a while back that I scratched my cornea in one eye in, in, in a youth group event and I couldn't see it in my eye. It was blurry, it was painful, and I kept twitching and I found that I couldn't drive home because it was difficult to see perception. Now, if I were to walk down here and say, 
I think there's something on your glass in your face. Let me get a little close and I could see the speck. I might injure you in the process of getting a little speck out of your eye. And if I turn and find someone, I might hit them with this plank. And it's comical, but Jesus says, first judge yourself. Look in the mirror and see how, you, how funny you look. And start with yourself. Now, that's not the funnest thing to do, especially from those that love you. And if you give them permission to speak truth and love, sometimes the love hurts, the truth hurts, and sometimes there might be a little bit of mustard on it because you might have been hurt in the process before by this log in someone's eye. There's a, when we look at our own faults, we get defensive. And that can be damaging to people when we defend ourselves. I've been in conversations with friends and my wife where I, I keep records of wrong. And one thing that uh, I might see in someone else, and there's 10 coming back at me. And I find this interesting uh, quote from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Is <clears throat> when people criticize you, contrast the image of a broken person who is so secure in the love of God that she is unable to be insulted. When criticized, judged, or insulted, she thinks thinks to herself, oh, it's far much worse than you think. (laughs) That's a person who has clear vision. That says, I don't have a log in my eye. I know how bad it is. I'm going to defend myself. I know God loves me. He cares for me. I ask for forgiveness when I need to. I'm quick to respond. Last those close to me. I, I know how messed up I am. But I'm choosing every day to say yes to him. If it means forgiving, I'll do it. If it means to stop condemning, gossiping, I'll do that. It wastes energy on things that are unnecessary. Which means develop a discipline of repentance. Repentance is, means changing your orientation in God's direction. Aligning yourself with what he thinks. Now, that's not easy because you can't do a temporary. Repentance means changing course, not just saying you're sorry, which we all do at times. Oh, I'm really sorry. But I do it again. Oh, I didn't mean to. He says, repent, change course. Stop feeding the bitter vitriol of, of condemnation and complaint against this person. I had a college roommate who uh, was a wonderful person, but it just had grated on me. Now, there's nothing wrong with me. It was he was grading me, right? I looked at him, and the things he did just annoyed me. And sometimes there were some character things, not of bad character, but just things that needed change. And so I began to pray for him. I thought, I'm a good friend. God, I know you love him. I know you made him. Here's my recipe for how he should be changed. <laughs> I'm serious. Change him. I'm, bring, I'm in love, I'm bringing this to you that you would change him. I'm putting energy and thought into his uh, future development. <laughs> I remember praying one day and this, this thought came to me that I believe is the Holy Spirit. He says, don't tell me how to raise my kids. That's my son. You can be a brother, but don't tell me how to raise my kids. I know exactly what I'm doing. And those of you parents, have you ever had someone say something about your kids that didn't know your kids very well? Because you know your kids. Now, you can correct them, but you're not going to have someone else, a stranger, tell you about your kids. Right? Jesus knows the person next to you. He knows their faults. 
her weaknesses, their strengths. And he's saying, I have got a new kingdom coming. And you can walk as a victor, not a victim, because I'm going to give you the tools to forgive, to be generous. And you can walk free in the midst of circumstances that physically, culturally may not be free. You may be strapped. God says, but you can be free in the midst of it. You look at Martin Luther King, I have a dream. In the midst of darkness and oppression, I can walk as a victor because I know who God is. Having clear vision, just tell them that they could have things removed and begin to see clearly in life. What comes out is fruit that remains. In Acts 20, 24, Paul says, and I love the scripture, it's a family uh, verse for us. Paul says, I made it to my aim to let everyone know I, I meet about this incredible, extravagant generosity of God or the grace of God. That's what we as a family want. It's our life verse. We want people to know that can encounter us in our brokenness how extravagant and gracious God is. Which means we need to accept it for ourselves even though we don't deserve it. Jesus on the cross says, God, forgive them. And our pride says, God, I will receive it. But the next step is turn and offer it generously to someone else. Whoever, without condition, without payment. Start by asking God to reveal his grace to you. Build muscles of repentance that you can do things quickly. In summary, we're free to give and not hoard. We're free to learn and lead, not prove our worth, but recognize who we are. And third, we're free to face our failures, the issues in our own heart. Will we let God search us? Last May, I had the privilege of going to Rwanda on part of a relief and development project to see some projects we had supported with our church. And I got to read some of the history of Rwanda. If you're not familiar, a, number, a few years ago, there was a massive genocide where one group, Tutsis and Hutsis, Hutus and Tutsis, rose up and an ethnic genocide happened where 800,000 people killed in a short period of time. Husbands killed wives because they were different tribes. Neighbors killed children that they got to school with. It was illogical and horrific and, and demonic. And so as one group was fleeing, a new president came in and he said, stop we're not going to let this go on. We will not retaliate against those who perpetrated this because they are our people. And there was 120,000 people put in jail who were, who were caught or were guilty of one part in murdering or mass genocide or uh, aiding and abetting those. Some people would take buildings and say, come and be a sanctuary. And they let the other side know that they can bring bulldozers and raise the whole building, kill women and children Lock the door so no one could escape. The president, we can't do this. Our, cu- our country will not survive unless we practice grace. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to take these people in prison and let them know if they are willing to go to the place where they committed the crime and face the families of those that they murdered and endure their questions and their complaints and their grief and their anger answer the questions, and then stop and ask for forgiveness. And if those people would, would extend forgiveness, then that person would be exonerated and free to go and live their life. But they had to face those they'd wronged and hurt in this tremendous pain. You think there's only 100,000 people in jail. How many multiplied people? And some are too proud 
They'd rather be in jail than be free and take a season of time in a public court to face these atrocities. Others have done it. I saw a video of one. It's so moving to see grace extend to a person who is not deserving of it. In, 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 a, in an emotional frenzy, joining others in massacring their own neighbors in horrible crimes that are not worth mentioning. And then we went to this, this village here in Kivaruga. You can't see the rest of the group. There's about 25 people that are HIV positive. They're dying. They have these uh, mushroom fields behind them. And uh, little by little, one by one, are, are dying. They've lost relatives in the war. Uh, some their kids can't take care of them. So they band together as based on their, their physical needs to care for each other and work this farm. They have business. And these mushrooms they grow have these nutrients they discovered that allow their bodies to stave off some of the effects of HIV and prolong their lives. But when someone gets sick, a couple will quit work for the day and they'll go and care for each other. And it was a moving story to see how they responded. And they greet us with this joy-filled story in song that I asked this leader of ours, I said, what does the song say? It says, if you want to know if God exists, just look at our lives. Our lives are full of God's grace because we live free. We're poor. We've lost families, but we've forgiven and we give and we live in community and we can celebrate the fact that God is good. I felt so convicted and I can't give a little bit more when I see someone in need. Someone close to me offends me and it takes me two months to forgive. I said, that's a picture of what Jesus was hoping for in his followers who would be generous, who would lay down their rights and say, I've chosen to follow Jesus and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna defy gravity. And at the end of the day, they've lost. There's pain and suffering but they have hope because they've surrendered their lives to Christ. They say, I'm gonna allow his rule and reign, the way God works, to come into my life. And the nation, the month of April is a month of mourning in the country of Rwanda. People go back to their towns or centers and they revisit that and they remember that they've forgiven or they've extended forgiveness or some have, have felt both. They need forgiveness and they have to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness. 